Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Capitalize Your Fridays. I'm Taylor McGowan, Senior Wealth Design Specialist at Altius Financial, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Williams, founder and president of Altius Financial. Hey there, everybody. It's good to be back on, be back with you. Yeah. So this past weekend was Easter, and if any of our listeners are also following along with our 53-week challenge, you might have seen that Monday this week's emphasis kind of had a pseudo Easter experience. Um, rather than to have a rebirth, so to say, we were thinking about a recalibration. So for the 53-week challenge, the goal was to reflect on your goals so far and to kind of see how how you are standing on that. Have you reached things? Are, are you crossing everything off your list? Or do you really need to revise your step strategy and um, get back on track? Similarly, we kind of, we did a double, double challenge this week because last week I was out of town. And so the second challenge for this week was to get your nest egg ready. And so your emergency nest egg, do you have um, some money set aside in case there's an emergency of some type in case there's something you hadn't necessarily planned for. And so, um, so be, well, Taylor, I'm confused. <laughs> I thought you said we were going to do value investing. What is this Easter? Uh, what, I'm not sure. Are we on the same page as far as our topic today? We are on the same page. I promise I'm getting there. <laughs> um, so my thought is in asking people this week to recalibrate their finances, to recalibrate their goals, and check if they're on track for both personal goals, financial goals, emergency savings, you're probably going, hey, maybe I cross off some of those goals. Maybe I have built up an asset base, but now what? How should I invest it? Mike, I've heard Mike say value investing, but is, is value investing the way to go? What about growth investing? Um, growth sounds like I'm going to get more money. Why, why don't I just do that? So I think today is a great opportunity to kind of break down what is investing, what are different types of investing, compare the growth versus value strategies, and then to answer the question you're all here for, where is the growth for a value investor? Hmm, that's interesting the way you tie that in. I I like it though. I mean, I think you're right about uh, the recalibration and, and looking about, you know, it's amazing that the first quarter is already over, right? You know, yeah. Here we are, April, and we've got, you know, Easter's already uh, passed, um, and we've got this this first quarter in the bank, um, and it's important for me, and I know you as well, Taylor, to kind of look back and look at some of the wins that we've had over the past quarter, and and then tying that together with the the whole issue of value versus growth is appropriate in my mind, especially since we're the value approach is starting to look look a little bit better than it had as it has in the past so I'm, I'm i'm excited to talk about that of course we have to get our disclaimer out of the way we're not giving any specific financial advice no uh specific recommendations even if we talk about specific uh stocks or mutual phone mutual funds or or other investment vehicles we're not making any recommendations you've got to reach out to your own financial team or hopefully us uh to talk about what's appropriate for your financial situation. You know, past performance does not equal future performance, all those kinds of things. We wanna make sure people realize that this is mainly meant to be generally educational and hopefully a little bit fun and entertaining. Um, so is that enough of a disclaimer? <laughs> I think you got us covered. Okay. <laughs> I'm no lawyer, but I'm pretty sure you, 
you crossed our all of our boxes. So first category, so what is investing? For those of you who maybe have just started saving money into your bank account and you're going, okay, well, maybe my savings account is a bit bigger than it was before. Maybe, um, maybe I've grown a bit of an asset base and well, if it's in your savings account, you're probably not getting much out of it. And your, your next thought is probably, okay, how do I actually grow this? How do I make my money work for me? So obviously the basic concept of investing that Mike and I say to all of our clients, all of our family friends is when you're thinking, what is investing? You want to get a return of your money. So if, if I'm putting hundred dollars in the bank, I want that hundred dollars back. <laughs> and then you want to return on your money. So if I'm, if I'm lending out my money in the, in the hopes of it being an, a solid investment, I want to get more than just that hundred dollars back. I want to get 110, 120. I want to get 200, a thousand. Um, so in the most simple of terms, investing is a return of and on your money. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's what, that's what sort of drives that debate of value versus growth. You know, you want, when you're investing, you want more than what you put in, but you definitely want what you put in. Yeah. Um, and the other part of it is how you measure that. I mean, is it, do you, if you put a hundred dollars in the bank and then you get a hundred dollars back, but you can only buy $25 worth of stuff you used to buy, yeah. is that a good investment? Um, it didn't even preserve the value. So it's not just that you want your money back. You want your value back, right? You want yeah. your purchasing power, uh, your ability to buy things that are important that you value back. And that's kind of where that whole issue of value comes in. You definitely want growth, but you want to make sure you're protecting and have a store of value. And that's what money is supposed to do. So it's interesting talking about these concepts of money, wealth, value, uh, currencies. Um, you know, we've introduced in some of our recent episodes, the whole idea of, you know, investing in, in cryptocurrencies or, or things that have no intrinsic value, but maybe, you know, some real, real value in the world. Um, you know, does, does uh, airline points count as money right now? Well, they're valuable and you can redeem them for, you know, travel or, or material goods. You can buy, you know, an iPod on, with, with uh, airline points or, or banking points. Um, so this whole idea is, is, is interesting. It's fundamental to investing. You know, traditionally there are only so many categories of things you can put money into that you're expecting to get the same value plus some back. And that's, you know, companies or businesses, you know, people refer to stocks. We like to call them businesses because people think sometimes as you know, the stock market or playing the stock market, they think of it in terms of like going to Las Vegas or, you know, you're gambling. And we don't think of it that way at all. We think you're buying into businesses um, that have real people, real products. Um, so that's one category. And, and I have a bias toward that. Um, I think that uh, stocks, representing businesses, representing honest people with good ideas that are implemented uh, are oftentimes the best way to preserve and grow your wealth. But there's also bonds or loans. You know, bonds are just basically lending money to someone else. If you buy a bond from a company or a corporation, you're buying a company bond, you've loaned the money and they're contractually obligated to give that back to you. If you buy a government bond, it's the same thing. The government has uh, borrowed money from you and they're, you know, they're obligation is to pay it back to you with a certain amount of interest over time. 
Um, so there's lots of loan type investments where you loan money to someone either in the form of a bond or a mortgage. If you're the one who's owning, if you're the one who holds the mortgage, someone buys a house and they're needing the funds to buy the house, that's a mortgage. You're the, the one who's investing in them to pay it back. Um, so there's those kinds of assets, both stocks, businesses, and uh, loans or bonds. Uh, there's also commodities. Uh, commodities aren't necessarily considered to be a, a great investment because the, there's always that price pressure. But if you buy commodities at the right price, um, it can be a good investment for the future. You're speculating on a higher price and precious metals fall under that category. Real estate certainly an investment category that, that has traditionally been something you could get a return of your money and on your money on, depending upon when you buy and what, you know, what neighborhood or what market you're in. So those are all the basic examples of investments. Is this worthwhile, Taylor, to, to kind of list out these things to, to kind of lay the groundwork for us? Yeah, I well, I think for some of our listeners, this this might not have been a spiel we ever gave them. Mm-hmm. For for people who are clients, you've probably already heard this from us, and um, it might be a good refresher. This might be something you can pass along to friends and family. But if if you're new to Altius and new to our whole Altius family, then this can be a great way to just kind of sit back and go, oh, that that is what this means. Um, on the same page, I know a bunch of you are probably saying, well, there, there's a lot more than that. What about what about mutual funds? I'm invested in all mutual funds. So I, I don't care what you're saying about stocks. I have mutual funds. Um, I hate to burst your bubble, <laughs> but mutual funds are actually, that's just packaging. So that's kind of our second category. We, we kind of put things into three categories. So Mike has started with the first category, which is just direct investments. Those are kind of broken into things that are either assets that you can own. So companies, stock, um, companies like stocks, commodities, precious metals, real estate, or their loan type stuff. So that's when you see the CDs, the bonds, et cetera. Yeah, those are the real build, building blocks. Those are yeah. the things that actually really can preserve your assets and or grow your assets. A mutual fund by itself, you know, without looking under the hood and saying what's in the thing, yeah. what's what kind of fund is it? Does it is it is it in socks or bonds or precious metals or whatever it might be? So you're right. That's the first category is those building blocks. And I interrupted you. Go ahead with the, the packaging. And so the second category is packaging. So a lot of people, oftentimes if you've got a 401k or um, a 403b, a retirement type account you won't typically see these individual investments. You're going to see packaging. So maybe you see, oh, I have XYZ ETF, or I have a UIT, or maybe I have a REIT, a real estate investment, or a mutual fund. Um, Essentially what those are is it's like throwing in a Skittles bag. So you've got your orange, your green, your yellow, your red, your purple. All the colors are different individual investments. So you've got different stocks and maybe different bonds mixed within that. But the mutual fund is just the bag. It's holding it all together. Well, so you're, you're kind of up. making it sound like, you know, the packaging is no big deal. Why, why would I want to, why not just buy, why not go direct to the underlying building blocks? Why do I need, what's the value of the packaging? Why would anyone buy a mutual fund? Well, so if, if I were to pull up, I'm going to go with probably the most common stock that most of you are thinking of. Um, let's go with Amazon. A lot of people say, oh, I buy everything from Amazon. If you wanted to own one share of Amazon today, I think it's what, 
close to, is it $3,000 a share? I don't know. I haven't looked at Amazon recently. Let's check it out. Uh, what is the price of Amazon? And why does that matter? I mean, you know, does, does that matter for packaging purposes? Well, so the concept here is diversification. The base word from that diversity, when you're looking around and you see people of all different shapes, sizes, colors, nationalities, you want the same kind of thing in your portfolio because it's going to minimize your risk. And so instead of saying, I have a thousand dollars, I'm putting all of that into one company. So if that one company goes kaput and they're done, then there goes all your money. If you have it diversified into a mutual fund, so maybe you've got a little bit of Starbucks, a little bit of Apple, a little bit of Exxon, a little bit of British Tobacco, candy company, you know, if you've got different markets within your little bundle, that allows you to take some of that risk off the table. Because say the tech industry does horrible for the year, then maybe you've still got the food industry or you've still got the energy industry. Um, so mutual funds, ETFs, they've all made investing more accessible for a greater amount of people. And it's made it convenient. So rather than saying, I have to decide if this is a good purchase, you can look at it and say, I, this money manager helped figure it out for me. So the, you're saying the, the big advantage, and I agree with you, one of the major advantages for having the packaging uh, is diversification. So you don't have to do all the picking. So diversification and professional management, right? Someone yeah. who's doing the picking, but just to go back to your Amazon example, it's 32, a little over $3,200 a share today. Um, but you can buy fractional shares. So yeah. you can put together your own mutual fund or your own diversified portfolio by buying a little bit of Amazon and maybe a little bit of a food company or a little bit of an airline company. Yeah. So you could do that, right? Yeah. Well, Why wouldn't so, you? So the average, I mean, you could, but I would say if you want to do that, hire Altius. <laughs> Um, I think it's it's much harder to do as an individual, especially if you don't have knowledge in that field, and if you're not willing to take the time to get knowledge in that field. Yeah, that's and so those are the two major uh, advantages of using that kind of packaging, whether it's a mutual fund. You mentioned ETFs, um, UITs. These are these are term these are terms. These are acronyms for for different investment packages that include lots of diversification so you can have exposure to maybe lots of different parts of the economy or industries or even many different companies within an industry you could have a, you know, a sector fund that's maybe like invest in the airline industry but you don't just own united airlines or just southwest airlines you own multiple airlines and so that's diversifying and to get professional management, somebody who's doing the picking, somebody who's actually doing the tracking of what these investments are. That's the main value in buying a bundle or a package of things like uh, we're mentioning mutual funds is the most common one. Yeah. So now some of you are probably sitting there and going, well, I don't know about mutual funds, but I, I've got everything in an IRA or I've, I've got it all. It's in my 401k. It's doing fine. It's going to be okay. I, I contribute to that. And that's, that's where my money goes. So that is where I would put the third column. So the first column is strict. What can you invest in directly? The second is your Skittles bag, your packaging. The third category is what I call tax packaging. So the first one, you're looking to get some kind of diversification, but the third one, you're actually focusing on 
okay, what type of account do I have? What kind of account is holding this money? And so maybe that is a trust account. Maybe that's a 401k. All of those numbers, the 401k, 403b, 457, the, the numbered ones, that's all just tax code. That's a line of tax code and that's kind of where it came from. Um, but the different type of account determines if there's any kind of tax benefit putting money in or taking money out, if there's any kind of benefit on the growth within the account. And so I promise this is probably my final plug for Altius, but if you need someone who's going to tell you, <laughs> if you need someone who's going to tell you or consider what are the, what are the tax parameters around the type of account I have or the types of accounts I should have, that is a great reason to hire a financial advisor because we'll look at your accounts and say, hey, here's, here's what you're actually getting into. This is what this is going to look like for you. And here's maybe a, ba a better way to do that. But you're saying it does boil down to some simple ideas. You yeah. got a fundamental building blocks of, of a, what you can put your money into to pull it back, you know, to be able to gain and, you know, get growth on it. Mm -hmm. Then you can, you can buy those things in a package, a professionally managed package that gives you diversification. And then you can own those things in a tax package of some kind that gives you uh, different kinds of tax treatment. That's what it boils down to. And that's yeah. really what we help people do. It, you can see where you have, maybe just a few options in the basic building blocks, but then you have a few more options in the how you might have it packaged and then how you might have it packaged in terms of a tax treatment. So it can get more complicated that way. And that's, that again, that's the value of having someone who, who understands these, these uh, both the rules in terms of taxes, but also the advantages and disadvantages and the costs associated with professional packaging. Yeah. So now I kind of, I, I think you probably have the best spiel on <laughs> value versus growth because you've been investing longer than I have. Um, you've been in this industry long enough to, I think I've been in the industry long enough to make some decisions on my perspective for a good investment strategy. But I think you have really built your foundation and your core values. And so I guess I'm going to start with, so. I know I'm going to tell everyone you're a value investor. So what made you a value investor versus a growth investor? And do you want to maybe explain the differences? Sure. I'll give it a shot. Um, <laughs> I, the first thing I would say is that there's, there's lots of people out there who make the distinction. And I do like to go back to Warren Buffett's uh, statement that value and growth investing are joined at the hip there. You want, to preserve your value, that's the return of your money, <laughs> yeah. and you want it to grow. So that's the growth. There's both the value and growth. And the question is, you know, that style of investing is a little bit different. People who are value investors typically have a bigger emphasis on history, on kind of looking back at track records. And that can be uh, viewed as boring, especially in, in markets that are, are doing pretty well, regardless of what the, the the, the ratios are and what history tells you. If, if, if someone's saying, no, I don't care that much about the history, that's old news and you don't get it anymore. There's these new ways of doing things. There's new technology. The world is changing and those value guys are just looking back at past history, but they, they don't know what's going to happen in the future and they can't really make a good investment decisions based on just looking at the pre previous uh, you know 10 or 20 or 100 years. Uh, so growth investors are more focused on a future story. How are we going to grow earnings? But as I said, there are two parts of the same story. You don't, no one wants, no one has 
any interest in investing in something called a value stock or a value piece of real estate if it isn't going to both return their money and grow it. Um, most people feel like it's not that hard to, to put their money in the, in the bank or put it under their bed and they feel like, well, you know, I could, I could do that with my eyes closed. I don't need to worry about getting my money back. I'll just hide it and, and keep it. But they don't realize you know, actually keeping the value, keep it, keeping your purchasing power, keeping the ability to, to be able to buy things in the future, preserving your money is actually a big uh, hurdle for lots of people. Uh, aside from our, our proclivity, our, you know, our, our desires to just spend in the first place. You know, we all have, you know, we get money coming in and we, we like to spend it. You know, we want to do things and we want to, you know, we talked in our, one of our previous shows about traveling and the kinds of things we want to do with our money. Everyone likes to, most people, I should say, not everyone, but most people like to spend. They like to consume. They like to enjoy, uh, whether it's going out to dinner or traveling or buying a new car. That's a, you know, that's one of the biggest threats to accumulating money is, is just the current spending that we want to do. But another big piece of it is, is actually, you know, making investments that don't preserve the value, either in terms of nominal, you know, basically how you count things, or in terms of real purchasing power. And, and, and there I'm talking about the, the erosion, the inflation, or the fact that our dollars, the way we measure things actually does go down typically every year. Um, you know, the value of a currency, a dollar, like a US dollar or any paper currency, typically loses value every single year. And that's even on purpose. Our central banks are trying to inflate our money supply and make the value of the dollar go down which is kind of a whole different topic. And I feel like I'm getting long-winded, but the, the basic difference between value investing and growth investing is the value investor typically has a bigger emphasis on track records and what they can measure versus sort of a story about the future, the future earnings potential. But you know, value investors obviously want earnings as well. It's a question of how, you, how you're measuring what you're getting, what the price is that you're paying for what you're getting is. Is that helpful or is that just confusing to say? I, th I think that makes sense. You, yeah, so you're saying um, value investors are looking at the history, they're looking back at trends, whereas growth investors are looking at the future and saying, no, 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 this is going to get bigger, better, faster, stronger, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, well, so value investors are typically cheaper in terms of their outlook on, you know, they're skeptical about, am I getting a good deal? You know, and a, and a growth investor is more concerned about, no, oh, maybe I'm not getting the best deal today, but in the future, it's going to be a good deal. It's going to grow. Yeah. And so that, that's it's a little bit of different outlook in terms of how they how they think of things. Well, and so I, I kind of want to put that into everyday people terms. And so maybe maybe you want to get a pair of jeans today and you go into the mall and you're shopping and in your mind you're saying okay it's going to cost me a hundred dollars for this pair of jeans they're a nice pair they're going to last forever and you walk in and the pair that you really wanted is only fifty dollars so buying that pair of jeans that's kind of looking at it from a value perspective you're saying oh this pair of jeans that should be a hundred dollars i'm going to buy it for fifty dollars and i'm getting that extra benefit um whereas maybe for the growth perspective you're saying I'm going to buy the $200 pair and I'm hoping that someone will one day buy them from me for $250. Yeah. And there's limitations when you buy a consumer good, when you're talking yeah. about a consumer good, like a pair of jeans, because 
Yeah, you, I mean, the value versus growth only works so far in, because you're consuming. You're not really, no, very few people buy a pair of jeans yeah. as an investment. Now, you know, there are people who are buying, you know, Michael Jordan. There, I know people who buy Michael Jordan shoes every year because they are collecting those. And there is some, there's some potential value as a collectible for those things. And maybe a pair of jeans as well. Maybe it's like the newest flashiest pair of jeans is the, the analogy to, you know, growth strategy. But, but you're right. It's like, can I get two pair of jeans for the price of one? Yeah. You know, I mean, sometimes value investors say, can I buy a dollar for 70 cents? Can I buy a dollar for 50 cents? So it's, yeah. it's that idea of getting a deal, getting, you know, uh, something on sale, so to speak. Yeah. Well, so which one is the best for growing your assets? I mean, when I hear the word growth, I'm thinking, oh, my money is going to grow. When I hear the word value, I just think, okay, that was a good deal, but is my money still going to grow? Is this still going to expand? How, I mean, how do you tell people that, hey, you're still going to grow? Like when, when we have new investors, how do you tell them that we're going to grow their money without using a growth strategy? That's a really, really excellent question. Because if you say, well, I shun growth stocks <laughs> and someone's saying, well, I want my money to grow. <laughs> yeah. Why are you shunning growth stocks? And that relates back to two things. One is that that issue of they're not opposites. You know, they are joined at the hip. You want both a good price for future earnings and you want to pay a reasonable price. Um, and the second thing back to maybe even more personally, you know, how I you asked me how I became a value investor. Yeah. And in doing this for you know more than three decades, I, in studying it, you see people who consistently over time, over long periods of time, get wealth to stick to them. I mean, that's kind of what, what I think about it as I want. Obviously, I'm like everybody else. I like spending money on whatever things I like to consume. Yeah. But in terms of as an investor, I want money to stick to me. I want to grow my net worth. I want to grow my security. And in that sense, I, if you study people who've had money stick to them, who've grown their net worth over time yeah. and consistently do that, historically, you see that people who call themselves consistently value investors in terms of the stock market do better than growth investors. Now, there will be growth investors, maybe people who are listening to this right now, hopefully people who are listening to this right now who call themselves growth investors who say, wait, 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 that's not necessarily true. And it's a debate. There's an academic de debate ongoing for people who study finance. But my experience has been, if you look at the Forbes 400 list, year in and year out, and you say, who sticks on that list? Who are the, it, most of them are not stock pickers. Most of the people who are on the Forbes 400 list are what? Business owners. They're business owners. They got all, the, they're not, they say, Taylor, that BS you said about diversification, that may be good for some, <laughs> but I'm, guess what I'm doing? I'm concentrating my wealth. I'm putting all of my eggs in this one basket. You know, you can use, we, you mentioned Amazon before. Bezos, Jeff Bezos put a lot of eggs, all of his, yeah. you know, and, and asked for family eggs and, and friends' eggs. And he concentrated his wealth and other people's wealth into one narrow basket. And that's not diversification, but that's owning a business. And that's the, that can be the riskiest, but the way a person really can build wealth. Most of our clients aren't necessarily entrepreneurs. And, and aren't necessarily trying to create the next Amazon. So they're not concentrating their wealth. They are interested in you know, a little bit more of a balance. So, but if you look at the, back to that Forbes 400 list, you say, okay, most of those people have got rich there by really focusing their, their assets on one company and, and made a lot of money in that company. And now they have 
you know, their families invest in the money in the in the company and so forth. But there are some people who are on that list of the Forbes 400 or any richest for you know. There's Forbes does this, and they're maybe the more popular one. But there's a lot of lists out there of people who have lots of money and keep it. And the ones who are stock pickers or the ones who are professional investors consistently typically are the people who are care about price, care about what they're paying for things, care about the track record of who they're investing with. And that all kind of boils down to a value type approach. So you might say, well, how do they do it if they don't care about growing assets? And then that goes back to that, that issue of, no, they care about growing assets. They just care about, are they paying the right price for whatever, whatever asset they're getting? And, and I can tell you, it has been a rough go for value investors for the last maybe uh, five to 10 years, because these styles do go in and out of, out of, uh, out of style. Uh, they go in and out of, you know, they kind of cycle. Um, but over time, as I said, my experience has been that people who pay attention to price, how much they're paying for something, meaning a value conscious approach, do better. So how does a person make money as a value investor? Well, they buy right. They, they actually do their homework and they say, okay, I can, by reading about a company or industry, understand whether it's on sale or not. And that's yeah. the fundamental crux of you know, whether you can whether you can be a successful value investor or not. Can you actually, can anyone, you know, whether it's me or Warren Buffett or you, Taylor, or any of our listeners, can anyone actually do enough uh, research and thought about a specific company or industry to say, yeah, this is now a decent time to be buying. This is a, it's on sale now. Um, and that's not, that's, that's harder than it looks. Um, but that's the essence of it is buying things that have, you know, better, future potential based on the price you're paying for them right now. Okay. Well, so you kind of talked about how they go in and out as far as popularity is one more popular right now. And if, if you're saying, Oh, maybe growth is more popular right now and value is going to be more popular. Should we do growth now and then switch to value when value is more popular? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, I know that's that a really good question. Mind. No, that's a good question because people do that. And, and, and there have been plenty of professional investors who say, you know, I'm this, what I've what worked before isn't working now, so I'm going to change. Yeah. And what happens oftentimes is they get whipsawed and, and nothing they do works because they keep changing their strategy. If there's one thing I would say is both growth and, and value investing and multiple ways of investing can work, have been proven to work if you stick with them over time. Um, and so you don't want to just be jumping into or out of one style of investing. You want to understand, you know, what fits your personality and what fits my personality is, is definitely looking at what I'm paying for being value conscious, looking at, at the underlying, um, the underlying business, the underlying integrity of the people who are doing it and the future growth potential and being skeptical about the story. I mean, cause, it's hard to grow things forever. It's hard to have the kind of exponential growth that you're looking for on an investment for a long time period. There are some companies that succeed for a long time, but if ultimately in, in America in any capitalist or semi-capitalist country is a proof of this. And this is one of the good parts of capitalism in a, in a free market is that, you know, someone comes along and says, I'm going to take market share from you. Um, and, you know, Amazon's, a, I don't know, we didn't talk about this ahead of time, but Amazon's a good one. You know, Amazon is the thing that right now is supposedly taking over the world because, you know, they've really, really succeeded in providing a technology that makes it easy to get things uh, ordered and delivered 
in, yeah. in a in a short period of time and, and at a good price. Well, you know the the company that they are most threatening to has been Walmart. Walmart yeah. was the company who was great at distributing on a retail basis, you know, better prices and getting you know getting you a pretty good deal. Uh, and Walmart before before Walmart was Sears. So yeah. the story of capitalism is one of you know there's these great companies that come along and and compete very well and then they to keep their market share they really have to continue they really have to continue sorry for that interruption they have to continue to, to innovate and continue to compete um, and it's difficult the larger they get the harder it is and then some someone comes along and outcompetes them and, and that's related to the investment theme so good to stick with long-term value companies but at some point in time they may be no longer the value that they were before and it makes sense to change not change style necessarily but to change what what the companies that fit that style so you know amazon could be a value company or could be a growth company depending upon the current price and the current earnings projection you know is it is it better to stay with one style or to shift around as i say i think it's better to stick to understand the style that you're in and then stick with it um, when you say is one more popular right now certainly the style we've been in for the last like I say, a decade or so has been the growth side. People have been less concerned about price and more concerned about the story. And that's usually the, the more one of those styles is doing better for a long period of time, yeah. the more likely that they're getting closer to actually changing the, uh, the cycle. And it, you know, it'd be great if you could hop on one style and then hop on the other at the right time. But that's the same thing of any, any investment approach. If I could just, you know, time things perfectly, I'd be, I'd have more money than, Buffett or Bezos or whoever, um, it's difficult to time things like that. Well, so then in a similar fashion, um, if you're not gonna zigzag back and forth from value to growth, is it worthwhile looking at diversifying and saying X of my portfolio is growth and X of my portfolio is value? It, it can right. be worthwhile to diversify in, the, in terms of style like that. Um, it, it also depends on whether you're talking about buying growth managers and value managers or buying growth stocks, the underlying, or buying value stocks. Um, as again, my approach is to say, let's be consistent with the style um, and be, be focused on the long-term value. And, and that is, again, over long periods of time, that has worked for me and my clients very well. And, uh, but it can be, there can be time periods where you, you end up uh, underperforming or outperforming the, the benchmarks that you have. Um, the key in that sense, in our holistic approach is, are you meeting your goals? I mean, do you care about outperforming a specific index or do you care about whether you can retire on time and send your kids to college? Yeah. And that's partly why we have this holistic approach of saying, let's focus on what you need or what you really want in terms of your goals because that's the thing that most people care about. Now, there are some of us who care about beating indexes or just accumulating wealth uh, for its own sake, but but most of us care about meeting goals and that's the focus. Yeah, I've, I've heard you say before, um, most of us don't wanna be the richest man in the cemetery. <laughs> we wanna enjoy our lives and reach our goals that we're setting up our finances for those. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you asked, I think about before about, you know, is does it make sense to be contrarian? And, one of the things that people need to realize is that the investments and industries go through these cycles 
and they they get they can get mispriced. Now, when you have a free market, when you have lots of people who are looking, lots of competitive people, the investors are competitive people, and they're they're trying to find those hidden gems of those deals. That that makes for a more efficient market, and makes that usually means that things are fairly priced. You know, if you got one person who's saying Amazon's way overpriced, it's it's never going to be able to meet these growth targets. You know, Walmart's going to come back and eat their lunch or whatever their story is for why Amazon's not going to continue to do well. And then you have somebody on the other side saying, "No, the future's wonderful. Look how much look how much R and D that uh, Bezos has done, and and how much." new product development they have now they're doing drones to deliver your stuff it's a great story yeah those usually kind of equal each other out and that makes for fair pricing and that's that's the the great thing about in one sense of having this sort of collective consciousness and i use that term advisedly but you you have this crowd source of wisdom in a sense um now again i go back to a previous book that i mentioned before you know the the extraordinary madness of crowds um, that's a famous investing investing book, but there is a sense of you know if you've got lots of people out there who are trying to to put a value on something, trying to say here's the right price for Amazon or whatever it might be, um, then you're going to get you know the outliers, and then everyone's going to kind of come down to okay this is probably a fair price, but there are times when the crowd goes overboard in something, they might be manipulated in the sense that that we have too low of interest rates. So the cost of borrowing is very low and that influences people's view of the future. Um, if you have very low interest rates, then that means you know, many business models might work well for a long time period. But once interest rates go up, then all of a sudden you're like, well, maybe this business model isn't so great after all. I can get a pretty good return on my money market or my CD or a bond, a government bond. So comparing different asset classes versus the, the specific thing that you're invested in Makes sense to to compare to the to the overall environment, um, but that's a long-winded way of saying yeah, it does sometimes pay to be to go against the crowd. If everyone's buying into something, that means maybe it's starting to be the tail end of that cycle, and and you should be buying something that everyone hates because yeah. it's probably cheaper if they hate it, and and that's the contrarian nature of sometimes successful investing. Yeah, well, that's the the quote that. I think we have five investing quotes that we typically use and one of them is be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. Um, and just like you said, that's the contrarian strategy. Yeah, and that's a famous Buffett quote. Um, you know, there's a lot of Warren Buffett quotes that people use who are at least people like me who are sympathetic to the idea of value investing. And, and it just basically says that the crowd oftentimes can be wrong. And for you to find better deals, you want to maybe go against the crowd. Yeah. Well, so do you have any any final thoughts for if you're if there's any growth investors listening, just shaking their heads right now? Is there anything you want to tell them and try to sway their opinion or um, or any advice for new yeah, investors? Yeah, for a growth investor, I would say you know just do your homework and and ask yourself. Is the growth on the particular asset or stock that you're buying, is that sustainable? And is it the right price to pay for that growth? And you know, we use sometimes the real estate example of, you know, if I have a house that that I'm buying as a rental property, and that you know, in terms of an investment, if I have a house that I pay a hundred thousand dollars for, and every month someone will give me a thousand dollars in rent for it, that's one investment. Yeah. 
and let's say down the block, I can buy a similar house for $100,000, basic same floor plan, same model, same neighborhood, and I'm paying the same $100,000, but somebody will pay me $2,000 per month in terms of rent, which is a better deal, which is a better value. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd say the second <laughs> property is a better value. You can look at that or you could say, well, what if I, you know, the, in the same neighborhood, I'm paying $250,000 for the house and someone will only rent that for $800 a month. Well, that's probably the worst of the three. Yep. But sometimes people say, well, because it got bid up and there were people, there were more and more people, you know, greater fools, so to speak. Yeah. More and more people who are buying that third house and it's bid up to 250000 Everyone thinks there must be something there. There must, that be, must be the good. best house. And maybe, and likely there is maybe, you know, better cosmetics. Maybe they replaced the refrigerator and, yeah. or did the kitchen over or whatever. But, but that's the point I would say to a, a growth investor, you know, be value conscious and say, what am I paying for? What is the price and what am I paying for that price? Yeah, I think, and I may be saying this wrong and he's going to hear it, but I think my uncle always used to say, you want to find one of the lower cost houses in the, in like the best area possible so you're so then your house value is going to grow with everyone around you and you kind of get the most out of your money yeah that's a traditional way of buying real estate is to say you know i want to i want because there's bigger margin for error on the on the uh, on the higher end houses but that means if if they're going to continue to go up yeah. then they'll probably drag my cheaper house in their neighborhood along so that yeah. my problem you know if i'm buying the cheapest house in the nicest neighborhood i can get and that means I'll probably be okay in terms of uh, everybody else, at least relative to my neighbors. Now, that might be my real, my neighbors all way overpaid for their house and, and they're going to be hurting and wanting to come to live with me. But <laughs> yeah, but so that's, that's just a different, you know, a little bit of perspective on how we do things in, in that, that whole categorization of uh, value versus growth. And more importantly, the fundamental building blocks of investing. Yeah. Now, why are you, why is a person buying a stock or a piece of real estate in the first place? Well, they want to make sure they're preserving their capital first and then ultimately growing them, growing it. Yeah. So hopefully you gathered some, you gained some value out of listening to Taylor and I's uh, little stories and uh, our, our podcast. We're always interested in hearing uh, suggestions they might have. We want to thank you for listening to the podcast. And we also want to remind our clients and anyone who's listening to, to join us in this challenge. Uh, we have a 53 week financial challenge, just, you know, little bite-sized chunks of things that you can do. We invite you to follow, like, or friend us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, you know, we'll, we'll, we're posting on those platforms and, and all of the platforms you can identify us by Altius financial. We've got Altius on all caps and financial and in, in lower, lowercase. It's typed as all one word and, and you can see our logo as a profile picture. As always, if you have any financial planning and investment questions, comments, or thoughts, or suggestions, as I mentioned, for future podcast episodes, please feel free to reach out to me at michael at altiusfinancial.com or to taylor at altiusfinancial.com, or you can also check out our website, uh, the www.altiusfinancial.com. Thanks for joining us and have a fantastic Friday and, and uh, capitalize on this weekend make a focus to capitalize and do 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 what's uh what's best for you this weekend thanks yeah. for listening yep thank you have a great weekend